Hey, this is Steve Adubato. This is the Leadership Hour with Steve Adubato on my co-host, co-anchor, um, leader extraordinaire. If it were not for her, I would make even more leadership mistakes than I do, Mary Gamba. How you doing, Mary? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, on another show, let's talk about time management. Yes. Okay. Because you know what your schedule is. Mary mm-hmm. prints out a schedule every day. Highlighting what time you need to get in the car to get where you need to be. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in, in yellow, bold. Yeah, it's very hard for me. I have to get in a car, mm-hmm. go where I have to go. But I pack in too many things in the morning, and not that people need to know the details. For those of you who have kids or or, or have kids around, floating around, you have to deal with, or other issues, and you have to work out, or your mind's not straight, and you have to go get coffee. I'm Starbucks. You are Dunkin' Donuts all the way. You put or, that all just together. Just Dunkin'. Just Dunkin' now. D- they Dun- took off the dunk. They took off the donuts. It's just Dunkin'. How they perf- rebranded. How, how perfect that we are talking about the rebranding of Dunkin', when in fact we have one of the uh, country's foremost experts on branding, on leadership, on communication, on social media. By the way, we have absolutely no segues that make any sense here. I just noticed that. Yeah, um, that's what makes us great. And so it is my honor, my pleasure, because what we do here on the Leadership Hour, by the way, where can people catch, before we introduce Walt, where do people catch the Leadership Hour, the Steve Adubato and Mary Gamble Leadership Hour? Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, they can subscribe to the podcast at Apple iTunes and Google Play. We have a great library there of previous podcasts. So if you're listening on the radio right now on AM 970 and you like what you hear, you can go there and subscribe. What's and, the cost? Uh that is a great question. Brian, what does it cost? Nothing. Nothing. Brian Brodeur is, for me, some immediate, <laughs> that's not true, really. It's true. It is true, absolutely. Free content? Free content. Oh, my God. I know. I'm telling you, we're just giving it away. Giving we it away. We should not be giving it away. Well, we're funny, that's a great segue. We are also giving away great articles and content, tips and tools on leadership and, and communication. And? Branding. Autograph pictures of me. Autograph. Oh, now you've done it. I just it. made that up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, Apple? So the, uh, well, that's Apple, iTunes, and Google Play go for ahead. the podcast. So uh, to get those free articles that I was just referring to, they can go to our website, stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. et cetera, et cetera. Sorry for stepping on you. That's all right. And then also they can follow us at Facebook, Steve Adubato, Ph.D., and that's spelled A-D-U-B-A-T-O, Ph.D. And on Twitter, and that's just Steve Adubato. So they can also get tips, tools, hear what we're up to. Um, so those are all the places they can find us. So it's so interesting as we introduce Walt Carino, our good friend. More and more, this is a leadership question. It's also a media question, uh, a content question. You have to be everywhere. You have to brand yourself everywhere, get your content out everywhere, and leaders often are the ones who have to innovate and drive that. And we are honored because we always have great leaders joining us on the uh, Leadership Hour. Uh, Dr. Walter, Walter, good friend, Garino, who is managing partner, Practicom. It's a practical communications company. Also, the chairman of the board of our not-for-profit production company, The Caucus Educational Corporation. Uh, Walt, welcome to the Leadership Hour. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Walt, how many years have you been, first of all, Quick background, advertising, marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Quick background. Well, originally I was a lawyer. I started out to be a lawyer. You admit this. Yes, <laughs> that's that's where the doctor comes in. And um, 
I won't go into why I quit, but it had to do with the fact that most of the stuff that I was doing was marital relations and domestic uh, problems. Fun that stuff. I, yeah, it was uh, egregious, to say the least. And uh, and it got to be very trying. And I was just a kid. And I, I didn't. It was painting a whole terrible picture of marriage in the future. And I, I didn't get married until I was 32, I think, as a result. And you have a great marriage with a great I have partner. A great, yeah, over 46 years. Uh, we'll talk about the secret of that later. Okay. And um, and, and really, I, I didn't do that very long. I did that for 18 months. I met somebody uh, who was a brother of a classmate of mine who was in advertising in Philadelphia at an agency called NWR. And, um, and I asked him what he did last night because I couldn't understand anything else he was talking about. <laughs> and he said, well, last night he said, we, uh, we, we named a car. And I said, you named a, a model of a car? He said, yes, we named that. I said, for who? He said, for, for Ply Ply Plymouth, you know, Chrysler Plymouth. And I said, uh, what's the name of the car? And he, and he said, the Barracuda. And um, wow. I, I thought, wow, th I, this guy's got a stamp on immortality. And, I, and I'm doing, you know... Uh, these marital screens. Marital bliss. <laughs> Divorce-related things. And, uh, you know, Steve, I quit the next day. I, really? I quit the next day. I gave them two weeks. Uh, and, and there was a lot of back pay still to come, so I knew I'd, I'd be comfortable for another couple of months. And luckily, uh, I called the headhunter, and uh, in about a week and a half, I was on Madison Avenue and working on, um, on uh, Lux and a lot of Lever Brothers products. And all detergent. And don't you think, miraculously, the first person that um, that I deal with as an actress for a commercial is Lily Tomlin, no. who was, wasn't even known. And two weeks after that, um, they signed up uh, Elizabeth Taylor for an event uh, with Mike Todd. And um, it was a one-time shot sponsorship. So it was the most exciting transition that could ever happen to me. And that's when I really... Believed in in uh, in names like brands and, and Lever and people like that Unilever worldwide. Sure. And by the way, what Walt is going to leave out. And by the way, go on our website stand-deliver.com. You'll see Walt's complete bio. He headed up a major advertising agency for many many years. Huge clients from across the world. And in the last few years. Mm -hmm. In addition to teaching at Seton Hall University and and changing lives, so many students that you have had that I have actually wound up having later as someone who has taught at the higher ed level, say Dr. Garino taught them so much about branding, marketing, advertising. Your new firm now, uh, 32nd, I'll say, Reader's Digest version of your firm today? Yeah, Practicom is practical communications, and it's based on the fact that agencies are organized to just put a couple of people on your account, and they stay on your account, like, forever. That's the traditional format. And my idea was, you know, when you get an art director who's never done an annual report, and he's the one that's assigned to your business, that's a burden that's very tough on everybody. And it doesn't work. So I thought, well, why don't we just get like, you know, about we have about 30 freelancers that we use. And we can actually pinpoint the person who has the experience for that particular task, bring them up to speed. Now with digital information, it's very sure. easy to do. And uh, so we actually target the person who's doing the job to the type of job to the specific client. How dare you customize 
your services to what the needs of the client is. What's, what's one of our chapters, Mary? It's all about? Them. It's all about them. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, by the way, if you're listening right now on AM 970 or on the podcast, we're listening to Walt Carino, who's one of the top branding, marketing, advertising, social media gurus, leaders, innovators, uh, not just in the state, but in the uh, region. Well, you know, since this is the leadership hour, let's make the connection. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer. By the way, we're sitting here in this studio with our friend Brian Brodeur and East Main Media, Mary and I, on this podcast, Creating the Leadership Hour. We have a new podcast coming out called Think Tank, which has big political policy thinkers, part of a, a PBS series we're doing called Think Tank, mm -hmm. which is going to have a podcast as well. Why do I mention that? Because I'm a big believer that if you're a real leader, you are constantly, dare I use the word, innovating. And that's who you are and what you are. Am I making too much of that? No, it's, that's actually how I've dealt my whole business career and my life in this business. When I saw opportunities, I actually helped create the first website in America. It was for the White House, eventually called the White House Homepages. It was when the, the World Wide Web actually became available to the public. So being on the ground floor of the Internet really made my life very exciting. So let's talk about this, though. Do you think, well, from your perspective, that leaders, and I'm not even going to say CEO, because a CEO is a leader. There are many other leaders. Mary's not the CEO of our company, but she's a great leader. Laura Van Bloom, who's coming in, who's the head of our marketing and communications, she'll be coming in for another edition of the Leadership Hour. She's not the CEO, but she's a leader. Do you think, from your experience, that most leaders, most people in leadership positions, are natural innovators, or do they have to be coached and trained to be that? Well, I think there's so many people that have to be coached and trained. Steve Jobs didn't have to be trained to be a leader. Bill Gates no. didn't have to be trained to be an innovative leader, right? No, no. And the, obviously, they're exceptional. But I think for the most part, you can be a natural leader. Uh, the question is, is your style the right kind of fit for the business that you're talking about? If you're talking about just business and being a business leader, I think that the one thing that you have to have is respect, and you have to earn that. So if you're a natural, you don't really think about it because you have it, and people will become attracted to you and want to follow you. But I think for the most part, you have to really earn the respect. So you have to know what you're talking about at all times, and you can't confuse people. And it doesn't matter. They don't have to love you. But what? Yeah. Because <laughs> my, well, maybe, uh, uh, let me get this right. My team loves me. Yeah. All the time. Every Ma Mary, day. stop choking over there and, <laughs> and your laughter. So, so go back in all seriousness. Yeah. Um, so the great scene in a uh, movie, A Bronx Tale. Uh-huh. Uh, Chaz Palminteri is being asked, he's not Chaz Palminteri, he's the mob leader in the neighborhood. And he asked, he's, he's being asked by this young kid, who's actually Robert De Niro's son in the movie. He asked the mob leader, a leader, but of organized crime. He says, um, is it better to be feared or loved? And I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for that answer because it really mattered to me. And Chaz Palminteri playing this mob leader says, uh, it's better to be feared because love doesn't last. Now, I know it's a ridiculously simplistic view of it, but you said you don't have to be loved to be a leader. Make the case. Well, I think that a lot of times people get into businesses that They've maybe made the wrong decision, and they're working for somebody, and that somebody may uh, may be a leader or may not be a leader. If he's a leader, 
that person probably could adapt to that business and learn because of the respect that he or she would have for that person. But you don't have to love the leader? No, I don't think you have to love them. I mean, you obviously don't work for somebody that you hate. Can you dislike the leader but significantly respect the leader and his or her leadership style, but you just don't want to be with that person, hang out with that person, schmooze with that person, that's okay. Sure, that can happen and that has happened to me. I once worked for an individual who was my boss, who was a little bit pompous, a little bit conceited and standoffish, and that's not me. You're a people person. Yes, absolutely. So we had some pretty rough sledding, but you know what? He knew what he was doing. The practicality of the business required a certain amount of knowledge, mm -hmm. which he had acquired. And I eventually became uh, one of his admirers, even though I didn't want to go out and have a cocktail with him. I did respect him, and, and, and I learned a lot from him. So it lasted. And when I left the job, he was almost in tears. I left the job after a couple of years because I just got a tremendous offer. And I had to take it. And I was getting married at the time, too. So it was sort of a bittersweet parting. He, he hugged me. And we never touched each other. In all those years? In all those years. So it's, it's so interesting. By the way, we're listening to uh, Walker Reno, one of the top advertising, marketing, social media gurus in this nation you'll ever find. He is, in fact, the president. He's the, the leader of an organization the managing partner, if you will, of Practicom, a practical communications company, and also the chairman of the board of our not-for-profit production company. Mary, we got a few minutes left with Walt. What do you got for him? It was fascinating. I was We were talking about innovating, and Walt, before we were talking about a book that you're working on writing, and some of the stories that you were just sharing, and I know you were saying, well, it's going to be on the smaller side. If you just shared the same, if you went into detail about working in the White House and creating the World Wide Web and doing all of that. I mean, that could be a book in and of itself. And um, I just wanted to get your perspective because we are here talking about leadership. What would you say is one of the keys to branding yourself and your beyond innovation? Because obviously innovation, you cannot turn on whether it's television or radio without hearing that word. But beyond that, when it comes to innovating for young people, millennials that we talk about a lot on the Leadership Hour, what do you find to be the most important key to branding? Branding as a leader, you mean? Branding as a leader, distinguishing yourself from the pack. As opposed to just someone who's making a lot of money. Yeah, because you were talking before about the CEO, that you're the CEO, I'm not the CEO. But I have still distinguished myself from others based on you the way that I— You build your brand I'm, as a leader. Right, by relationship as building as for me. He doesn't need the title CEO. Yeah, How I, do you build your brand as a leader? Great question, yeah. Mary. Well, I think the most important thing, just as you do for branding a product, I think you have to decide, really come down to like one single word that you want people to think you you know are or what you you know represent. And when they think of you, they think of that word. Mine was intentional, and I just—I wanted to appear— knowledgeable, and I wanted people to take comfort in using my knowledge and hiring me for that reason. So my word was smart. 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 Wow. If people thought of me and they immediately conjured up the word smart, I was way ahead of the game. And that worked for me. And I've always benefited from having been in innovative situations, which uh, were proof positive of 
being smart. How did you do what you did every day in order to promote the brand of you being, quote, unquote, smart listening to Walker Reno? Go ahead. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, this is the Leadership Hour on AM 970. Go ahead, Walt. Well, it sort of is an everyday thing because you look for different ways to do things. You look for ways to not only be innovative, but things that are practical as well as dreamy, if you will. You don't limit yourself to what you're looking for, but you got to make sure that it's a real positive. And the same thing with the Mobile One. When I helped create Mobile One, which was the world's first synthetic motor oil, and right, mm. right now is the largest selling motor oil in the world, that was during the gas crisis. And after working with the laboratory people for a couple of weeks at the refinery, we came up with the idea that they could use an aviation lubricant and it would actually give you more miles per tankful. You had to be smart to do that. Had to be smart to do that. Had to understand scientists, and I, you know, <laughs> my background was law. So, um, but we exchanged a lot of ideas. But, but we're always looking for the smart thing to do, mm. which was to offer people who were in a gas crisis something better. And when they found out they could just by changing their motor oil, even though it was more expensive, right. they got 60 extra miles per tankful. Wow. By the way, Mary, if you... If you know, you are, I was going to ask you that question. God, I was thinking, what word would you use to describe yourself as a leader? You know, I was listening to Walt go with smart, and I, unfortunately I can't go with that. Not just because you said it, but because it, I don't think it would work. It's funny because I have a word for you, but I want you to go first. It's either engaging, helpful, or an entrepreneur. Hmm. What would you have? Strategic. Yeah, that too. <laughs> nice. And very humble. Humble is the word. That wasn't our... one of the words that I had, but that's okay. okay. What do you got for yourself? It's this is so... Mary Gamba's brand. Yeah, and I know it's not as impressive with the wow factor, but don't I would... undersell it before. Walt, tell her when she goes in to make a pitch, she doesn't start explaining why it's not something. Well, <laughs> Just go with it. No, but I mean confidence definitely, but um, but effective. Like you want something done, I'm gonna get it done. Whether it's at work or at home, we were meeting last night with my oldest son's college advisor, and she was like, you've got everything ready to go. Like, I'm like, of course I do. Effective. Extremely mm -hmm. effective. It doesn't mean that I may want to change that in the future, possibly, and but right now I would say it's effective. But you've evolved. I'll tell yes, you, Walt Carino. I'll final words. Go ahead. Okay, I'll tell you the, the one mistake most people use, and that's popular. What? If they just want to be popular— you mean like the Kardashian thing? It <laughs> yes. works for them. So, yeah, let's not use that on, example. Wait, like, seriously, if someone says, my brand is unpopular, what's yeah. wrong with that? Well, it's, first of all, it's very subjective. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and secondly, people who want to be popular, a lot of times they, they lower themselves to do certain things and placate. And I don't think that they get my keyword of either smart or respect for doing that. And it can be taken advantage of, too. Popular is a wonderful thing to be popular, but to brand yourself in that kind of positioning is sort of ruinous and eventually will, will lead to doom. It's very fleeting. By the way, real quick, can we say there's a book coming out? Yes. Is, is it not okay it, to do that? It's in the works. It's, You've it's, been working on it's it. It's still in the works. We're, we were talking about it before. We're trying to make it into like more of a, not a big volume, but a thin textbook so that it can be used practically and conveniently, and once people learn the system, it's basically a system, they can go. I'm just still adding to it, and I had it edited, so we're on the move. 
It's going to be a great book, everything you ever want and need to know about. It's more than advertising. It's, it's good stuff. And we are honored to have our friend, our colleague, the chairman of our board, Walker Reno, who is uh, a nationally recognized expert, innovator when it comes to social media, advertising, branding. And he's a scholar and a friend, and, and you honor us by being with us. Thank you, Walt. Thank you so much. I really found it a pleasure. Absolutely. This is Steve Adubato. That's Mary Gamba. This is the uh, Leadership Hour on AM 970, if you listen to us every Sunday on AM 970. Also, real quick, before we go to break, Mary, tell folks the podcast they can get. How yeah, do do absolutely. It? On iTunes and Google Play. And most importantly, if you like what you hear, give us a good rating. That helps a lot. Hold on. We just begged for a good rating. Yeah. And how does that help us? It makes me feel good. Okay, it makes great. me feel effective. Okay, well, that's why we're here. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, Walt Green. I'll be right back right after. Oh, and Brian Brodeur in the studio. will be right back right after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Welcome back to the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour with my colleague, associate, and uh, consigliere, if you're in fact a fan of The Godfather, Mary Gamba. Mm-hmm. I am not, but that's okay. You I've seen it. I've seen it. Italian. That's got to, I know. I married an Italian. That's got to count for yeah. something. No, Mezza Metz, as we say in my own neighborhood. So listen, let's just follow up real quick on uh, Walt Carino. Walt is someone who's been at this for a while, the advertising, marketing, branding, social media game. Your perspective on the connection between, well, let me try it this way. Can you be a great leader, as you listen to us on AM 970, on our podcast as well? Can you be a truly great leader if you are not totally engaged in the social media game? Because there are an awful lot of folks who say, I'm not on Facebook, the heck with Instagram, I don't tweet, but I'm a great leader. And a bunch of other social media aspects, as we'll talk to Laura Van Bloom, our marketing guru, in the next edition of the Leadership Hour about this. But can you be the best without being engaged in that whole game? No, you need to constantly. We talked about innovation with Walt. We talked about changing, about evolving. And a lot has changed in the last 10 years, let alone 30 years. When it comes to leadership? When it comes to social media and technology and how best to utilize that to be a great leader. Now, you can go the opposite extreme and use it too much, use it in an ineffective or embarrassing way that's going to embarrass yourself or possibly the country. So I think that it really boils down to a fine balance of not being obsessed with it, but using it in a strategic way. You know, it's so interesting as this is not a political program at all, but we try to use what goes on in the world of politics for quote-unquote lessons in leadership to Mm -hmm. quote a great book by an extremely innovative uh, leader who wrote the book. Mm. But I was watching one of the candidates on the Democratic side, Beto O'Rourke, and I don't know his politics, and I don't really care right now, and there'll be 47 Democratic candidates at some point. But it strikes me, when your brand, this guy is so driven by presenting himself to the world largely via social media. My question becomes, as a leader, if you are so caught up in the social media game, how many people are following you on Instagram, on Twitter, what you put out there, and also, hey, I went to the dentist last week, let me show you, because he actually did this. Yeah. Let me show you a picture of my, you know, listen, I'm bad putting my kids out sometimes on Facebook, but that's not what I mean. I mean, can you trivialize yourself as a leader 
via social media, including potentially the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. Candidates, the president, anyone, a high-level corporate leader, whatever. Can you? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why you need to be relevant. You need to be out there in order to be seen by the population. Because let's face it, if you're looking at young adults, say anywhere between the age of 15 and 30, okay, I'll classify that as quote unquote young adults, not even using the word millennial anymore, because I don't even know who that defines any longer. But if you look at that population, and you're looking to reach a new audience of key stakeholders that may or may not be voting for you and may or may not be deciding to vote for you based on how often they see you in social media based on they may not even know leadership. This isn't the political hours, the yeah, leadership but hour. unfortunately, when it comes to being a leader, if you use it correctly, sure, posting pictures of you or your kid at a dentist appointment is not effective use of social media. Putting pictures of you helping a stranded animal on the side of the road, somebody that's into animals is going to be like, hey, I remember that guy. He was the guy that helped that cow that was running out on the freeway. Oh, time out. Devil's advocate. <laughs> so part of the problem is every time someone does something mm-hmm. that is helpful to another person. Yep. You know, last time I checked, I'm not saying my religious training right. is, is the the barometer of what you should be doing, but last mm-hmm. time I checked, you weren't supposed to be announcing every time you did something nice for someone, and it doesn't make you more of a leader because you branded it. Well, worse, some leaders make up situations that they did or did not maybe help somebody That's that right. was in need. So, again, everything is about balance. Everything is about taking the good and the bad of social media and using it to your advantage. And if you do something, sure, you should be doing it just for the the self-worth and it made me feel good and I helped somebody true or altruism. somebody else tweeted it about you instead of you said, yeah. hey, I helped this person on the side of the road or right. one candidate for president we know very well mm-hmm. uh, tweeted famously a few years ago that he was shoveling the uh, sidewalks of people <clears throat> in his neighborhood right? Um, and where he happened to be mayor at the time. And I thought, mm-hmm. OK, yeah, is that making more of a leader because you were helping people get out and you were shoveling yeah, you or does it make you more anyway. of a leader because you put it on Twitter? Mm-hmm. It made you a leader because you did it. But there was a communication and leadership coach years ago. And I remember him telling clients at the time that, uh, oh, I don't want to brand myself. I don't want to go out and brag about the things that I'm doing. And that same communication and leadership coach, a.k.a. you, had told them, you need to go out there and you need to let the world know about who you are, what you're doing. So there again, there's that fine balance but you need to be confident. You need to promote yourself. And sometimes that will be shoveling out. But you also have to use common sense, right? Like if you help a lady carry an old lady carry her bags to her car at a grocery store, don't take a selfie with her and be like, high five. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm, let me just do this. In the other book that you and I spent a lot of years writing called mm-hmm. You Are the Brand, mm-hmm. which is on our website, stand-deliver.com, I'm going to argue that that wasn't my message. Go out there and tell the world about what you're doing. The message was more about what impact are you having on others around you. So the whole concept, it's about them. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I'm afraid or, or I think a leader should be afraid to say what he or she is doing to have impact. Right. But that ain't about you. But it's, it's still ab- about impact. Those same people that you're talking about that shoveled somebody impacted somebody else, right? That's what altruism is. That's what going out and lending a hand is. So it is kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's but just here's a, my, yeah, no. a smaller way. Oh, here's my pushback. Say if the president, right? If the president is with a group of veterans and he speaks to those veterans, the message in my book, in my way of looking at being a leader and using social media, it's about the veterans. It's about the service that they gave to our country. It's about their families, some of whom lost their loved ones. It's not 
hey, I spoke to a group of veterans today and they loved me because I'm so popular with veterans. That's the disconnect. But you're talking now, you're playing with words and perspective at this point when the president stands next to a group of veterans. Or cops. Or cops or whomever. Yes. It is more about him getting that photo op than it is about him actually giving, you know, really caring about those. And I'm not saying he does or doesn't. I can't say uh, that. Forget about politics, but someone it's might perception. say that he's only doing branding. Right. On social media. Sure. You say? I say that's absolutely. Well, in certain cases, there are certain people that you could tell by their actions that they actually do care about those veterans or those police officers. If Rudy Giuliani, he, sure, he got you the- You mean 9-11? Yeah, 9-11. Rudy Giuliani, 9-11. He got the photo op because he was at ground zero. Because and George he was Bush, excuse me for interrupting there, the president- Showed up and left. Who was on the pile with George Beckwith, I think was his name. He was a chief of uh, the fire- um, if you can check this out, Brian, um, his last name was Beckwith, mm -hmm. and he was standing there with the bullhorn, mm -hmm. and George Bush was standing there with them, and he's on that pile. Not the, I've said this all the time. Yeah. Not a great leader, excuse me, not a great speaker, but he right. grabbed that bullhorn and he told those people, I'm with you. Right. We are with you. The whole country's with you. It wasn't about, hey, look at me. I'm the president. I'm here at 9-11. It's a totally different message. Mm -hmm. You say? I mean, again, that was, did he hang out? Did he stay to help? Or did he fly in and get out? And that's, you know, sure, at, it, it was the right thing to do that he was physically there. Everyone needed that boost of morale to see him there. And that's the right thing and to do. And it built his brand as someone who cared deeply about those right. people. Right. But who cared, in my opinion, more was Rudy Giuliani. He was in day in and day out, despite, Not either you know. Or. Well, one was the president, well, one was the mayor of that yeah, city. Of course. And I'm sure the president had a ton of other things going on, you know, in our country and, and throughout the world. But again, that's an extreme example of what I'm talking about. But okay. there are people that take advantage of situations for the photo op. Good. By the way, what's the guy's name? Bob Beckwith. Bob Beckwith. I got that wrong. Sorry. Pretty close. Um, by the way, there's so many images. Sometimes I think of images of people and how it brands them as leaders. Well, that's George, what that's we'll what you use social Bush media again. for. It. We'll go back to. And by the way, it cuts both ways. We have two minutes left on the Steve Arbato Leadership Hour with Mary Gamba. Check us out on AM 970 mm -hmm. as well as on our podcast, Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the photo op of President Bush? flying over New Orleans, not going down sure. to where people were. And that photo op, social media, not even what it is today, sent right. all over the world, communicated the message. His brand was tarnished, doesn't care enough to go down to right. be close to people. His security people said it was too dangerous, you mm -hmm. say? Well, Do you have to be aware of that as a leader? You need to be totally. And unfortunately, you shouldn't go down just for the photo op. You should go down because you want to be there and How see the, the people. Would anyone know Think the about difference? Chris Christie, right? Hurricane Sandy, you know, take it local. He was there, you know, in his fleece, hugging, being there, saying, I care for people. That photo op sent a powerful message, as did when Built the state his brand. And as at the did, time. At the time. And as did, unfortunately, that one photo op. Which he wouldn't have wanted oh, to have the out there. the one on the beach when the beach was yeah. the state was closed and he was there with his family. Exactly. The so flyover. You can see I'm how here a photo on the beach. op. Exactly. Oh, but that's so interesting. But what's interesting and fascinating is I truly believe that all of the things that he did during Hurricane Sandy was because he's New Jersey. Like that, he, he was there. In your he, mind, cared. he cared. Oh, totally. And by the way, when we talk, by the way, we're going to sit down with Chris Christie, 
whose uh, new book called Let Me Finish. Mm-hmm. We're actually going to be interviewing him soon. That will be, We'll find clips from that Absolutely. for the Leadership Hour, but real quick in a few seconds. When I've asked Chris Christie about that photo op that is famous and everyone knows about it, he not only doesn't he apologize for it, he goes, are you kidding me? That was my family. I invited those kids down there. My, my kids invited their friends. I wasn't going to disappoint them. And I would say, Chris, hold on. Your image mm-hmm. was tarnished by yeah. the fact that no one else could be on certain beaches. Thousands you, of he goes, people he's were. Like, I don't care. Yeah, that, that, lost that's money. not what I think about. And I thought, mm-hmm. what a great way to end the leadership hour. It is. Because in some ways, part of Chris Christie's brand <laughs> is that he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting, good, bad, or different. Hey, how did that half hour? It always actually, does. 33 minutes go by yeah, so quickly. It goes by so fast. Plug uh, who we have coming. She's actually in the studio right now, but she's not going to be on this show. She'll be on I'm the next tell one. tell you. Well, we do have Laura Van Bloom. Uh, she's uh, head of marketing, but so much more. So uh, she's just amazing. Brand management, social media. So we have her uh, coming up soon. And by the way, can we plug our uh, underwriters who help make this program possible? Uh, Larry Downs at New Jersey Resources. Valley. Bang, Cone, Resnick, MD Advantage, St. Joseph's Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, RWJ Barnabas Health, Gibbons, and also Operating Engineers, one of our newest sponsor yeah, partners. Local 825. Oper- local 825. Greg Lalavi is terrific. He'll, he'll be joining us on a leadership hour as well. Uh, Mary Gamba, real quick, if people want to find out more, they go to our website, yeah, which is? stand-deliver.com. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, this is the Leadership Hour. Catch you next time. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Rich Ribeiro. The Terrell Fund is committed to educating the public about the need to support New Jersey's infants and toddlers right from the start. That's why we're proud to support the important early childhood programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the New Jersey Education Association, NJM Insurance Group. Berkeley College, Wells Fargo, and by Summit Medical Group, a multi-specialty medical practice providing comprehensive care from birth and pediatrics to geriatric care, concentrating in general wellness, cancer treatment, disease management, and behavioral health. Promotional support provided by NorthJersey.com and Local IQ, part of the USA Today Network, and by New Jersey Globe. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We're coming to you from the Agnes Ferris NJTV studio in beautiful Newark, New Jersey. It is my honor and pleasure to introduce Barry Ostrowski, who's the president and chief executive officer of RWJ, Barnabas Health. Uh, Barry, let's jump right into this. Um, this is part of an ongoing series we're doing on the future of health care. The connection between RWJ Barnabas Health Rutgers as it relates to cancer care. Talk about it. Yeah, we're excited, of course, about our partnership with Rutgers. One of the things that Rutgers has is the state's only designated cancer center, which is the Rutgers uh, Cancer Institute, which is located in New Brunswick. 
we've decided to take that cancer institute and spread it throughout our healthcare system so that every venue we have will have services that are generated by that cancer institute. The research will be done primarily in New Brunswick at a new home for the Cancer Institute that we're planning right now and will be constructed over the next number of years. And what most people don't know in New Jersey is that Cancer Institute is a world leader in something called precision medicine, mm. where we're now treating patients with cancer using their own biological uh, uh, blood and other types of injections that we use where we feed back to the patient that which they have. Best way to, in fact, will be the best way to treat many of these cancers. So that is the home of that kind of research. We also do clinical activity there, but the clinical activity throughout our system will, in fact, be linked to the great experts of the Cancer Institute. In fact, that is why the question about the future of healthcare, because that is, in fact, part of the direction. And technology has a lot to do. Innovation has a lot to do. Well, innovation and technology, and, and I have to tell you, Steve, the future of health in the United States, and we make a distinction between health care and health. Frankly, our mission is about the health of the community. Health care is, frankly, just vending health care services. We feel our mission is to enhance the health of all those that live in our communities. So there's really at least a dual-prong approach to that. You have to have a platform that's clinically based, that has academics, that has research, so that you can assure folks who live in the communities hmm. that they can access the best clinical care. But three and a half million New Jerseyans, frankly, can't afford the, base, the basic needs of life. And that's food, uh, and that's housing, and that's safe streets, all of the social determinants that, frankly, keep people sick. That combination will do best to help our communities be healthy. And that's what our new mission is. Not only the clinical side, but the social service side. Together, that's how you're going to get a healthier New Jersey. Yeah, Barry talks about the social determinants of health. To fully disclose, uh, RWG Barnabas Health is a major underwriter of what we do here on public television. But also, I've done some leadership coaching at mm -hmm. your place. And this whole question of social determinants, determinants of health tied to social impact, what, I, what often, I don't question, but I want to understand more, and you can help our audience understand this, social impact. Why is it that a healthcare system is looking to have social impact as opposed to Healthcare impact. Well, if you analyze what unfortunately makes people ill and what makes their lives less healthy and happy, it's 10% genetics, 30% clinical platform, that is physicians and hospitals, 60% is the lack of your basic lifestyle requirements. So if you can't get healthy food, if you live in substandard housing, if you're chronically unemployed. Trans transportation you can't get? If you can't get transportation, you live in a community that's unsafe, those items will make you sick. And so no matter how many doctors we put in the hospital, no matter how many surgeries we do, mm. if we don't address those issues, we're not improving the health of the community. Now, historically, healthcare systems stayed with academics and clinical platform and research and we do terrific things there, but we still look and we see our communities, particularly vulnerable communities, and we say, why aren't people healthier? Now, some of it means that people have to adopt better lifestyles voluntarily, but still, no matter how voluntarily you adopt a better lifestyle, if you don't have good food and you live in substandard housing and you can't get a job, you are not going to be healthy. And what happens, people who suffer from those social determinants mm. tend to access the healthcare system on a regular basis. Which drives cost. 
drives costs. We're in Newark, and that's one of the communities. No question about it. The vulnerable community in Newark is one that we're focusing on right now, but we do it in New Brunswick and Long Branch and and others throughout our service area. And and so if you look at health care and say what makes it expensive in the United States, among the reasons is the fact that people who ordinarily could feel better with the right social platform are accessing conventional health care. That makes the burden on health care systems both expensive and difficult to meet. The other part of uh, the future of health care is getting out there more. And one of the initiatives um, is called the WOW Van. It's uh, Wellness on Wheels. Explain what it is and how, again, it is part of the future of healthcare. So WOW, uh, the WOW vehicle, which is an RV that we've had outfitted uh, to deliver fresh food and to teach people in various vulnerable communities how to prepare that food, is really a throwback to when I grew up in Newark. My mother had a vegetable man that came down the street. She was able to go down from our two and a half family house where we rented an apartment and buy fresh food. You can't do that nowadays, so we have recreated that by going into the vulnerable communities and delivering fresh food and teaching folks how to prepare it. We go to schools, we go to preschools, and it's been incredibly uh, successful for us. Mm. Folks have embraced it. So here's the issue with social determinants. If you effectively say access to healthy food is a necessity, you're going to do something like this WOW vehicle but you're only going to deal with ones and tens and hundreds of people, and you can't be frustrated by that. It's going to take generations to address effectively these social determinants, and you will see healthier generations in the future. The investment is not paid for candidly by any insurance program. Medicare, Medicaid doesn't have a code that says, let's pay for healthy food. Should it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But at this point, it doesn't. And so what we've decided is to take some of the resources that we've accumulated by vending healthcare services and apply those resources to these social determinants. Before I let you out of here, Barry, um, the other initiative, Rutgers is very much involved, excuse me, RWJ Barnabas Health, Rutgers Connection. The health, the Rutgers, um, RWJ Barnabas Health Athletic Performance Center, opening this summer in 2019. What is it? And, and why involved with Rutgers in that way? Athletics. Right. Well, we think that we need to make a contribution to the general society of New Jersey. Rutgers is our state institution. We believe in supporting things that are New Jersey. And when we spoke to Rutgers about its needs to, in fact, make itself better for various types of students, we've invested in the medical school, we've invested in other professional schools, this was our opportunity to invest helping student athletes who in fact needed better facilities and we're so excited about it and the, and the truth is all of this is a contribution in our view to making the lives of New Jerseyans better and of course these athletes in many cases come from other states and we want to put our best foot forward to ensure that folks have the kind of feeling about New Jersey that many of us have having uh, been born and grown up here. So we're excited about that, and in fact, I think when it opens, people will see a state-of-the-art facility for student-athletes. And by the way, in that spirit of uh, giving back, let me just repeat what I said before, if you missed it earlier. RWJ Barnabas Health is a significant underwriter of the work that we do at the Caucus Educational Corporation, a supporter of public broadcasting. Thank you, Barry. Thank you so much, Steve. Well Appreciate it. Thank this you. is State of Affairs. We're at uh, NJTV Studios in Newark. We'll be right back right after this.
To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. State of Affairs is pleased to welcome Ralph LaRosa, COO and President, PSEG Power. Good to see you, Ralph. Good to see you, Steve. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. Uh, let's put this in context. And in just a few minutes, we'll talk about the future of energy. Big picture. But let's talk about what's going on. Um, you guys have three nuclear plants in South Jersey. There's a $300 million state subsidy on the line as it relates to the, that plant, those plants. Why is that so relevant to the future of energy in the state? So I got to take you back a little bit in time. Um, we, we, as you know, run a, a number of plants up and down the New Jersey Turnpike and some other states as well. But in, as it relates to the state of New Jersey, we in the past had two coal plants that were in New Jersey, uh, one in the Trenton area, one up in, in Jersey City. And those plants were closed two years ago. And we didn't raise any issues. We didn't come to policymakers. We didn't talk at all about the need to keep those plants open because they really didn't fit in the policy of the state of New Jersey. These three plants, and the reason that they're so important they're to us. They're nuclear plants. These three nuclear plants in New Jersey are important because they're very consistent with the environmental policy of the state of New Jersey, which is to have zero emissions from the power plants that generate power to feed the residents <coughs> of New Jersey. That's our policy. That's where we've been heading as a state. And these three plants are so key to that because they provide over 40% of the power that's, that, as, that, that comes into New Jersey and over 90% of the power that has zero emissions to it. So if we lose 90% of the power that's right. zero emissions, that's a big impact on the state of New but, Jersey. But, but why the state, uh, by the way, let me disclose a couple things. One, uh, PSEG is a major underwriter of the work that we do at the Caucus Educational Corporation. And obviously, as you watch NJTV News, they're a major uh, underwriter of uh, the news as well. Here's the thing that's interesting to me. You've got the ratepayer advocate and some others who are saying, PSEG, they don't need a $300 million subsidy. They're flush. You right. say? All right. Well, what I say is that, that you don't look at any one, any, no company looks at one individual asset and say, well, we're going to keep that asset running. If the Dunkin' Donuts that's down the street here <laughs> right. closes, it's because we're downtown not, North. Go ahead. there's <laughs> not enough customers going to the Dunkin' Donuts. Right. But that doesn't mean that Dunkin' Donuts has to uh, subsidize those assets and those stores that they have that aren't making any money. These plants are not making any money, and they're not making any money because we're so close to the Marcellus Shell. That Where's exists. That, put that in the neck and open up this Pandora's sure. box. The Marcellus Shell is. So, so Marcellus Shell is a gas supply, is a gas reserve that natural was gas. natural gas reserve that was found in Pennsylvania. And so people have been, been producing natural gas for the last 10 years, 15 years or so from that, from that reserve. And as a result, they've been driving down the price of power. And as they drive down the price of power, these nuclear plants, which have a lot more expense associated with them, they tend to become out of market because we bid every day into the marketplace. You make it sound like you can't compete in that environment. It's tough to compete, but it's the same thing for solar and it's the same thing for wind. So we look at any of these zero emission uh, sources for energy and we say as a state, from a policy standpoint, we want to support those because we believe in having zero emissions in the state of New Jersey from our power plants. But, but Ralph, what's so interesting is nuclear is described by many as a clean source of energy. Right. There are others who say it's dangerous close them down from an environmental point of view, it seems like there's a disconnect. So there is, some, is there a disconnect in, in the minds of some? And in, my, in my opinion, there is a disconnect in, some, in, in, in the minds of some. 
So let's, let's look at Oyster Creek as an example. Oyster Creek just closed uh, recently. I think it was last October or November. It was in the state of New Jersey. There were concerns there from an environmental standpoint, not about the danger of it, but, but the impact on the Barnegat Bay. So there was a decision made to close it. But what has happened since, since Oyster Creek closed? Since Oyster Creek closed, all of that power that was generated by that nuclear plant is now being generated by gas-fired plants in the state of New Jersey. Why is that relevant to uh, consumers? Because it gets back to our policy being to have a green state that wants to have their power generated from zero emissions generators. So it'll be from solar, from wind, from nuclear over time. We'll phase out. That's the policy. Zero by 2030, zero by 2050. That's the policy of the state and, and this region, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. <coughs> it's all about reducing uh, carbon uh, emitting generation. So here's the thing. On April the 18th, the Board of Public Utilities, uh, they regulate a lot of industries, including your industry. There's a vote that's being taken on this subsidy. If that $300 million subsidy is not in place, by the way, we'll have others who have a different perspective on this on State of Affairs as well. What happens? Well, the, you you the, said you're going to close. Yeah, the plants close, and, it, and it's terrible for the it's terrible for the economy in South Jersey. I mean, it's one of the major uh, employers. You know, over six thousand employees at different times are are employed down at that plant. Uh, it's bad for the state from an emission standpoint, but it's a decision that's made by again pi policymakers. We only raised this issue. This wasn't about us making a money grab. This was only a question about whether or not we wanted to meet those environmental policies. And we thought it was important, and so we're, we've we generated the conversation. It took place over the last 12 months. At different times, it's been pretty heated. Where's the governor on this? Well, the governor the governor uh, signed the bill. The, uh, signed the bill. There was a bill that allowed legislation that was put in place that allowed the BPU to make this decision. Because without that legislation being put in place, the BPU wouldn't have had the ability. And the Senate president on this as Senate well president, supportive. The Senate president supportive. Uh, Speaker Coughlin. They're all they've all been supportive of it. It's all passed. Uh, the, all the, but the chambers. But now we have this last piece, which is the BPU looking at our books, our financial books, and saying, hey, are these plants really making money or losing money? We've provided a full truckload of, of information. And so they're in that process right now of going through that. We're going to see what happens on the 18th of uh, April with the Board of Public Utilities. I assure you that not just our operation will cover it at State of Affairs. I assure you NJTV News will be covering it as well. Um, and again, people with different perspectives will have on it. Have about two minutes. Real. Future of energy in the state. I mean, you've been touching on it already by talking right. about wind, solar, and other sources. Are you optimistic about the future of energy in the, in the state of New Jersey? Yeah, no, I am. I, I think so. Uh, many times I've been on this program in the past and talked about the utility role. And in those conversations, I would tell you from a resiliency and reliability standpoint, yeah. it was all of the above. We wanted to do everything we could to keep the lights Particularly on. Particularly after Sandy. We talked a lot about a it. A lot after Sandy. So now I've, I've moved over to the power side of the business, and now we're, in, we're it's the same story, though. It's all of the above. So when we look at what we need to keep the, the power generated in the state at a reasonable price for customers, we look at all of the above. So there is a little bit of natural gas left in the state. 50% uh, of it is in, in some that's that 40% I said from, from uh, the nuclear plants. The rest of it is mostly done by, um, by gas generation. But the goal is to phase that out over time. We have gas generation plants, but now we're looking at what does that mean to our fleet over the long term, right? 2030, 2050. I hope we're here talking about it in 2030, but you 2050. We're looking at that. But though. we're looking at it now, right? Because we, that's the long term goal. So what are we looking to do? Two maybe, seconds, go ahead. maybe even move into offshore wind, right? So we've had conversations with some companies about offshore wind. That's one of the one of the next technologies is coming to generate power, and we're taking a look at that as an opportunity for us to continue to be a supplier. Everything on the state. table, but the 18th matters with uh, April of 18th. Uh, BPU matters, that vote. Matters more to the state now from an environmental standpoint than ever before. 
Ralph LaRosa is uh, the president as well as the chief operating officer of PSEG Power. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us. We appreciate it, Ralph. Thanks, Steve. All the best. Thanks. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We're coming to you from the NJTV studios in Newark. We'll be right back. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. There he is. Michael Hill, correspondent, NJTV News. You recognize him from the studio, the set. Good to see you, my friend. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. It is an honor to have you. Um, every night on NJTV News, important things happen. But one night I told you, I actually texted you while yes. I was watching it. You did a report called Trauma, Tragedy, and Treatment, a five-part series. Set it up. It was uh, part of a fellowship project for USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism. They contacted me last March asking me to participate in the fellowship. I did. They asked me what did I want to focus on. I said trauma, trauma-informed care. So went out there for fellowship training in July, came back, started working on this series. Didn't know it was going to be five parts, didn't know if it was going to be three parts. And it was really to focus on underserved communities. Uh, places like Newark, places like Camden. I decided to focus on Newark because so much is taking place right mm -hmm. here. South Ward Children's Alliance, Greater right. Newark Healthcare Coalition, you know, uh, Carrie Lagoso, Miserell, and others like that, uh, uh, Cecilia Zalkin, who are all on the ground doing a lot of work. So I decided to focus on Newark itself and just came away with just incredible stuff. So uh, we, in fact, are part of a, uh, our production team is part of an operation called Right From The Start, NJ looking at infants and toddlers and those who care for them. And um, Michael's series, and by the way, you'll see the website for NJTV, uh, check out the series. But Michael's about to set up this clip that uh, features a young lady by the name of Ashanti Jones who not just had a big impact on you as a journalist, but on a lot of people who saw her set it up. Changed my direction <clears throat> for this, this project, Steve. Uh, I didn't know what her story was. I asked the Southward Children's Alliance to help me find someone who could help me tell this story. This is someone who, at the age of seven, father was convicted of drug trafficking. He was in prison, so the father wasn't around. Mother addicted drugs, wasn't exactly a protective parent, no supportive parent in the household. Ashanti was seven years old, two brothers in the household. Mm -hmm. One day, cops, social workers knock on the door, take the kids away. They all wind up in foster care. Ashanti hadn't seen some of them since. And she spent the next 10 years after that longing to be with a mother whom she eventually would realize the mother gave up her maternal rights. Once she got to high school and she had some disturbance issues and so forth, once she got to high school, she had what I guess most of us would call that eureka moment. Set it up. Alvin, our, our great director and the team in the uh, control room, let's go to the clip from Michael's series on NJTV News called Trauma, Tragedy, and Treatment. You're sitting here telling me that at 17 years old, you initiated going to the guidance counselor telling the guidance counselor that you wanted a better outcome for your life and you're 17 years old, and then you went from a near failing student to the next year a straight A student. Is that what you're telling me? Absolutely. At this point, I, I was trying to prove something. So I was proving that I was above, like I didn't need, I don't need you, you know? Um, and so it had to be about me. 
and I knew that, you know, I wanted to be someone I was proud of. Michael, why did she move you so much? In the 40 years I've been doing this, Steve, of all the interviews I've ever had, this is the only one during the middle of the interview, the story made me cry. This story of triumph, this story of tragedy, this story of someone who, again, at 17, mm. had the presence of mind to look at her surroundings and say, I don't want to wind up like the people around me, the people who, I, I guess to a certain extent, raised me to a certain extent. Mm. I don't want to be like my mother. There are opportunities out there. I need to go and take advantage of these, but I'm not going to take advantage of these and have a better outcome if I stay on this course. At 17, Steve. Now, she's obviously a special young lady, you know, motivated and, and tough and dedicated to trying to be the best she can be. Is she the exception of those who have experienced what are commonly referred to as ACEs, adverse childhood experiences? I don't, I don't know. And, and I'll tell you the reason I say that is because there are opportunities out there for people who've been through what Ashanti has been through and others uh, less traumatic, more traumatic. And one of the things that Carrie Lagoso Mezzarell always points out... One of the people, leaders in this movement. One of the leaders in the movement. One of the things she's always pointing out is that there are resources there and it's based on an individual basis to a certain extent and, and how willing you are to participate in this recovery, in this treatment. But there are opportunities to do it. And that's one of the things I wanted this series to show, that as bad as things may be for individuals, there is... Uh, Almost to say hope is kind of trite, but there are opportunities for recovery, for resilience, for treatment. And that's what I, I think this series it's, is all it's about. It's interesting. By the way, I'll put up the site again for people to see the five-part series on NJTV News. But the other question is this. From a policy point of view, you and I have done, Michael and I, um, we did a very challenging and important conversation about um, police minority relations a couple of years ago. And uh, I often, we, we kept asking the question, what policy changes need to be made as it relates to your series, traumas, tragedy, and treatment, what policy changes need to be made? More recognition of trauma, better resources to try to diagnose it. You know, uh, Dr. Nadine Berg-Harris with the Center for Youth Wellness, you interviewed her yeah, out, in wonderful book out in San Francisco. Right? Exactly. And so one of the things that she's focusing on this and national campaign. she's in your series as well. Yes, she is. This national campaign to focus on pediatricians, but not just medical doctors, but right. others out there in the health sector, to screen people for trauma. Not to say that everybody, just because you suffer some kind of traumatic incidents doesn't mean that you're necessarily traumatized. It depends on the individual. So one of her things is doctors should screen for this, and not just children, but mm. for families, to find out what's going on in the household. And then I would think, based on some of the research that we did, more recognition needs to be sure. given to trauma, more resources, certainly, and certainly more counseling and so forth. Like I said, the series is called Traumas, Tragedy, and Treatment, a five-part series that uh, Michael and the great team here at NJTV News put together. We put the site up several times. Make sure you check it out. But most importantly, Michael, let me just say this to you. The work that you did here, the work that you and your colleagues do every night, that's the reason why we all got into public television in the first place. Well done, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. You're welcome. Check you out next time. Thank you, Michael. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 30 years of broadcast excellence.
State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the New Jersey Education Association, NJM Insurance Group, Berkeley College, Wells Fargo, and by Summit Medical Group. NJM Insurance Company has been serving New Jersey policyholders for more than 100 years. But just who are NJM's policyholders? They're the men and women who teach our children, the public sector employees who maintain our infrastructure, the workers who craft our manufactured goods, and New Jersey's next generation of leaders, the people who make our state a great place to call home. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered.